Um, let's pray over the word tonight, and then we'll we'll get into a little, just a tad bit of review, and then we'll we'll talk about what we're going to talk about tonight. So let's pray first over the word. Let it let it uh, be exposed in every area of our life that we need to gain revelation in. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that it is always true, that it always goes forth, that it always uh, does what you've called it to do, that it will perform in our lives the way you want it to perform. I pray, Father, that you your word tonight would be planted in deep, good soil, soil that's ready to, to just be uh, for the harvest, soil that's ready for the roots, ready for the, the nourishment. And Father, I pray that as we take this word, I pray that you would not only give us the knowledge, but give us the understanding around it and give us the wisdom, Lord. I pray that we would apply it in every area of our life, that we would even as I'm speaking tonight, I pray that you would give specific situations on how we need to take this word and apply it in leadership in our life, that we would know exactly how to take this word and, and begin to just put it into, the, into application in various areas of our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's a little more centered. Okay, that's good. Thank you. <clears throat> um, last week, go ahead and turn to Proverbs because we'll review real quick on the scriptures around Proverbs. Last week, we started in our lead series, exciting. I'm really excited over it because I, I, I just, I have a passion for lead. I have a passion for uh, leadership and building leaders. So this this whole Wednesday thing, the fact that the Wednesdays are devoted to lead excites me because I'm just like, it's not just a series, you know, it's like all year long. And so I'm super excited about it. But Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. Who has a New King James or, okay. Zephyr, I'm going to have you read that because I'm not crazy about the, the, the way it's worded in my version. Yeah. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who, he who, who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So it's better for a, a man to be able to rule over his own spirit than to take a whole city. And, you know, God is saying here, it's better to rule over our spirit. We're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about what does that mean, to rule over our spirit. Uh, before we do flip to uh, chapter 25, we're going to read one more scripture, chapter 25 in Proverbs, verse 28. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Read that one also, Zephan. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. So whoever has uh, a, 
no rule over his spirit. It's like a, a city without the walls. It's broken down walls. That means it's been breached. That means the enemy can come in. And we talked last week about how if the enemy comes in, then he can steal things from us. He can steal peace. He can steal joy. He can steal our children. He can steal our husband, our wife. He can steal things in our life, our treasured possessions, if we don't have those walls in place. So we want to make sure that these walls are in place because God says, for a person who rules over his spirit. It's better for a person to rule over his spirit than to be able to be armed enough and strong enough to take a whole city. So everything with lead starts with what? Self-government. Self Say self-government. That is super important because every leadership, every great leader has this in, in their life. You're not going to see one great leader, not one, that is a great leader but is not able to self-govern their life to some degree and extent. Because th this, this very point right here, this self-government, ruling over self, will be the, the very key that drives them into other levels. So this is the first one, self-government. So I believe it's important that we touch on self-government before we even get into, you know, throughout the rest of the year of on leadership and great things about leadership. How do we self-govern ourselves? So a leader must govern, and I have six things, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get through all six tonight, um, but I'm going to go through uh, six things eventually that a leader has to govern in his life. And so if you're taking notes, and that's the other thing too, I want to encourage you through this year, since this is not just going to be a series, but this is going to be uh, focused on lead all year, I would, I would say get a notebook and just designate it for lead. Designate it totally for lead this year because you, you want to be able to go back and not have to sift through all kinds of sermon notes. You're going to want to keep lead because lead is going to be the very thing that, that makes you influential in various things in your life. And you're going to want to go back to these things and remember because you're going to grow. And then you're going to remember, uh, yeah, we talked about that one time, but I don't remember all the detail because you're going to grow at the stage that you're able to grow at the moment. And then you're going to remember and you're going to look back at Oh, yeah, I can apply that now because I'm better here. So get a notebook and keep lead uh, designated just for that notebook. So if we cannot govern on the inside, if we can't govern what's on the inside, we will never be able to govern what's on the outside. And that includes people. We won't be able to govern people if we cannot govern ourselves. So governing ourselves is the first step, the first step. So let's talk about... Let's talk about these, uh, how many ever I get through. So the first one, a leader must be able to govern, number one, his conscience. His conscience. A leader must be able to govern his conscience. And I'm going to have a scripture for each one of these. The scripture for this one is 1 Timothy 4.2. What is your conscience? Your conscience is your ability to discern what is right and what is wrong. It is the very thing that every person has inside of them that tells them that this is right or this is wrong. This is, this is what you should be doing. This is what you shouldn't be doing. Every person has that. Even if they don't have the Holy Spirit, they've got a conscience. 
They have a conscience on the inside that tells them, I mean, even before, you know, you were saved, I'm sure that there were things that you felt bad for. There were things that told you, uh, don't do this, you're going to feel bad for it. Or if you don't do this, you're going to feel bad for it. Or if you do this, this is going to feel good. This is going to be something that you feel like, yes, I did the right thing. So in life, your conscience is there, and it's, it's, it's there to help you discern what is right, what is wrong. In 1 Timothy 4.2, well, let's go ahead and read for, uh, verse 1. It says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences, consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. There are people that they can ignore the Holy Spirit to the point or they can ignore their conscience to a point that their conscience actually becomes seared. Well, what is seared? You know, you're probably familiar with a seared steak or a seared ahi, right? It's, <laughs> it's on a hot griddle, a hot grill, and it's, just, it's seared, you know? But what about our conscience being seared? Or a branding, like when an animal gets branded to show that it, it's, it's been, it, it belongs to this family. It's seared. It's branded by a hot iron, a hot emblem that they stick in the fire, and then they brand the flesh of that animal. Well, the same thing the Bible says our conscience can get seared. That means seared as in completely like, like a hot iron completely tears it apart. That means we can actually ignore our conscience and ignore the Holy Spirit to the point that the Holy Spirit will not bother us about it anymore. And I'm sure you've seen people where it's just like pure evil, pure demonic. And I'm not talking about someone that, that inside they want to do what they're, I'm talking about like their agenda is anti-Christ. It is totally against God. And people can just ignore God. In fact, turn, go ahead and turn to Romans real quick. I want you to see this. Romans chapter 1 talks all about uh, the, this very thing, the process of it. Romans chapter 1, one verse 18 And it's not just 18, it's, it's all the way down through. I don't know how far I'll read, but Romans 1, verse 18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Meaning, they put the truth, they know the truth, but they will suppress the truth by what? Their wickedness. By their wickedness. They'll take the very wickedness that's, that they desire and that they want, the, the things, and I, don't, I want you to understand this too. Wickedness, we think oftentimes is, is well, that, that means people that are like murderers. They have like a dead body in their basement. That's wicked. Yes, we ag all agree that's wicked, but that's not what wickedness means. Wickedness means anything that's turned away or does not agree with God. So even if we choose to go outside of, of God and what he says in his word, if we choose to go out, if I would choose tonight to go out and just get lit and sleep with someone else that's not my husband, that is wicked. That is wickedness. If I would choose to go up and, and, and 
just uh, outright lie to somebody, that's wickedness because it goes against God's holiness, his holy plan. So understand when we talk about these things, you have to understand like God's terminology about it. It's not wicked as in the sense of, well, what we determine is wicked. It's, it's God's, what God says is wicked. Anything that's against God. So people take anything that they want that's against God and will suppress the truth. That means they will put the truth under and cover it up with something else. So they'll suppress what they know is true. What happens from that point? Verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Do you know that men are without excuse? Because you can actually look outside and know that no man created the rivers, the sea, the water, the oceans, the, the trees. There was no man that ever created this whole world. Man is without excuse. Every man, no matter what language he speaks, can look at creation and know that there is a God. But man chooses to suppress this, this understanding and, and try to grab onto knowledge or grab onto whatever sense they can make in their own logical mind and create something around around that to make it make sense to them. But innately, every person knows that they've been created by something greater than them. That's why people say, well, I believe in a, in a divine being. I believe in a greater being, a higher power, but I just don't call it God. Or I don't say it's Jesus. They want to make up their own thing, but they know, they know that there's something that has created them, or they know that there's more to it. But the thing is, if they suppress the truth, it says they can suppress the truth because of a lie. But men are without excuse. Verse 21, it says, for all they, they knew God, they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile. It, did, it wasn't just futile, it became futile. Why? Because they chose to ignore God. They chose, even though they knew God, they chose to ignore it. They chose to, to take on their own thinking. And as a result, it became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. People can darken their own hearts because they choose to ignore the things of God. Verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies one with another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served things rather than their creator. So understand, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but understand, a man's conscience can be seared, meaning a man can choose to, to grab a hold of a lie and, and instead of grabbing a hold of God's truth because it's there without excuse, but they can choose to believe in something else. They can choose to follow something else. And as a result of following that for so long, their conscience can become seared. God can turn them over to their own desires, to their own fleshly wickedness, to what it is that they want. So your conscience has to be ruled over. That means 
even in the even in the smallest of things. I mean, there was one time I remember uh, Pastor Brad and I went to a movie. And I think we got I don't know five minutes into it. I don't know ten minutes into it, and we were like, "This is junk. This is not good." We both felt it. We both sensed it. We got up. We left the movie, and you know, because your conscience, your the Holy Spirit that lives in you, is telling you right and wrong. The Holy Spirit tells you and leads you into peaceful places. If your conscience is telling you something, you need to listen to what your conscience is saying. You have to rule over your conscience, not ignore it not suppress it and say and make justifications not suppress it and say well I'm going to take on this mindset anyways or I'm just going to shove this aside this feeling right now and go ahead and do the walk this thing out do this thing and and you know I'll deal with it later you know, I'm just going to do it one more day, one more day. I mean, when you're already living uh, something that you're not supposed to be living, isn't that an excuse that gets used one more day, one more day, one more week, next month? But that's the thing. We're not, God doesn't tell us to do that. He says that we've got to get these things right. We've got to listen to our conscience. We've got to make it submit. So what we watch, what we hear, what we put ourselves around, who we hang with, who you know, the atmosphere that we're around, it has an influence on us. It has an influence. It's just like an immunity. You know, that's why that's why babies get immunity, the shots. They, they get immunizations to make them immune to something. That's what happens when we continue to listen to things that are not good or watch things that are not good. We gain an immunity, and after a while, I mean, I can give you examples of, of growing up. I remember, I remember, and understand, like, my family didn't go to church until... I was like middle school age. So, uh, you know, there were decisions that they didn't understand themselves. But I remember watching, um, and I'm sure a lot of you probably remember the movie E.T. Well, E.T. has all the kids on there cussing. And there's just things on there that aren't good. And I <laughs> remember later watching that as an adult, and I'm like, I can't believe I watched this as a kid, you know? And, and the things that you that you think, oh, yeah, this is good. I mean, we've, we've, we've put movies on before because we were, like, young teenagers when we watched it back in the 80s when, when PG was not really uh, good. Like, they rated PG things as not, I mean, they weren't, you know, cartoons. They were, like, things in there with cuss words flying and everything else. And, and you're sitting there going, what the heck? This, th we watched this growing up. Our parents let us watch this growing up. And, you know, we're sticking in and going, guys, this was a really good movie when we were young. And then you're going, uh, scratch that, guys. Never mind. That's not a really good movie. Let's take that out. And you're like, what happened? You know? Because I don't remember that. Well, because your standard changed. And the Holy Spirit leads you into another level of who you're, you're called to be. Because as you, it's like the things that bothered you or that didn't bother you when you first became a Christian, you know, it changes because you become more sensitive. The more the Holy Spirit's doing a work in you, the more sensitive. It's just, that's why he, it's, we're all a work in progress. That's why you can't, if somebody gets newly saved and comes in, you can't say, well, you need to fix this, and you need to fix this, and, you know, you got a problem with this. And da, da, da. No, you let the Holy Spirit deal with them because the Holy Spirit knows exactly where they're at right now at this moment, what they need to work with right now at this moment, and what is more important and what is less important. 
That's not for us to judge. That is for the Holy Spirit to deal with. And so that's why we love. And then when people want to know things, they begin to talk about them. When the Holy Spirit begins to reveal it, he'll show them without you even saying a word. And I'm not saying that there's not times of counseling and not times of, of opening up and talking to people and, and discipling. Yes, but you do it in love, and there's a time for it. And you allow the Holy Spirit to open that door. Don't you go trying to pry it open with a crowbar because you can do more damage than good. So your conscience, your conscience needs to be ruled over. The whole thing with the conscience, if we don't, let, if we don't listen to our conscience, then we are we can become um, out of control, leading a chaotic lifestyle that just anything can happen. And it, we can create a, a lot of messes in our life because we don't listen to our conscience. Um, I was thinking uh, earlier today, I remember Zane, when he was in preschool, three, four years old, you know, we had a preschool, so there was uh, different areas that, that we would teach the preschoolers in, you know, tactile, uh, sand and water table, over here would be construction and blocks, and over here was, uh, you know, this and that, uh, the dress-up um, kitchen area to, to play in, and then there was always the art section. Well, that was the last thing on Zane's agenda every day. Like, he, had, he wanted nothing to do with art, even though it was on the teacher's agenda it was not on his agenda and and you would set the kids down and you might give them a picture you might give them something to do uh, and sometimes it might have lines on it right like a coloring sheet has lines and and those lines represent a picture and it might represent if you were doing snowflakes that week you might have snowflakes and and so you're to color that and stay within the lines right that's the goal is to teach them fine motor skills to stay within the lines well zane would sit down and in about three seconds with an orange it was always orange orange marker orange crown orange paint orange color like it didn't matter it was orange favorite color orange and he would do about three swipes I'm done and he'd be like off to the blocks or off to the cars or whatever it was and it was like he didn't care one bit about what that picture looked like or if he stayed in the lines it was like a big scribble every art project looked the same scribble orange scribble orange scribble orange I'm done I'm done I'm done and so I got to thinking about that today and I thought you know a lot of people's lives are kind of like that with their conscience they don't want to stay in the lines. They have no lines to stay in. They've not created any lines to stay in. And as a result, their, their lives look like a scribble. It looks chaotic. It looks like it, it's just all over the place. And the thing is, those lines are there to create the picture of our life. It's there to define our picture on who we're called to be, on the greatness of, of how God wants to uh, shine in our life and us resemble him. But if we don't allow those lines to stay in place, then people get confused at what the picture is supposed to look like. So those lines are there for a purpose. It's a good thing. Many people look at lines and boundaries and say, oh, that's there just to take all the fun away. No, it's there to define who you are, what you'll do, what you won't do, where people are allowed to step in and where they're not allowed to step in. You should have boundaries in your life. There should be things that you clearly say, this is my boundary. You can't step across this. You cannot treat me this way. You cannot touch me in this way. You cannot do these things in my life because they're there to protect you. Boundaries are good things. Boundaries are things that we should each have in our life. 
So don't ignore the boundaries and don't ignore the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and your conscience is there to work together to make sure that you're kept safe and to also bring you into greater places. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit and don't ignore your conscience. Rule over your conscience. When it talks to you, listen to it. All right, that's number one, your conscience. Number two, a leader must govern a leader must govern his devotion, his devotion, not his devotional, his devotion. Let's turn to Proverbs 4. Verse 20. A leader must govern his devotion. What is it, your devotion? It's what you put your time into, your energy, what you put your thoughts into, what you put your, uh, in, it's what kind of consumes you. It, it consumes your time. It consumes your energy. It consumes your, even your emotions. Uh, devotion towards something creates passion. And passion drives you. If you're passionate about something, it drives you. It pushes you. It's like a motor that, that just, it, it, it's like one of those self-propelled um, lawnmowers, you know, that, that you don't have to push. It's already self-propelled, and you just kind of have to guide it and give it a little nudge, but it's already going in that direction. It's already being moved by the self-propelling of it, by the engine that's in it. So it's, that's the same thing. Devotion is a propeller, but in order to get devotion, there has to be passion. There has to be, sorry, there has, I'm sorry, passion is what, what pushes, is what uh, drives something. But in order to get the passion, there has to be the devotion towards it. That's what I was meaning to say. I was getting the words all mixed up. So let's go to Proverbs 4, verse 20. It says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Now you, that verse 25 and verse 20 and 21 is the main thing that I want you to look at here. Pay attention to what I say. Listen to my words. Keep them in your sight. Do not let them uh, stray from you. Make sure you're keeping your eyes on my words. Don't let them out of your heart. Keep them in your heart because out of your heart flows the wellsprings of life. It's the issues of life. And keep them straight in front of you. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Keep them in front of you at all times. You know, if you're riding a bicycle, you know, it, it's like that very same thing. You're, you're fine as long as you're looking ahead, right? And you're pedaling, but then next thing you know, you, you look to the side and, and then you just naturally go in that direction. Anywhere your eyes look, either physically or spiritually or in, in any kind of soulish realm, what you focus on is what you will gravitate towards. 
So what we, what we think about, what we devote ourselves to, what we spend time around, what we put our energy towards, that's going to get our attention. We'll, we can actually build devotion around something by how much time we spend around it. So the interesting thing about this is it's, it's like God built into us the ability to make this happen ourselves. I remember when I used to uh, run a lot. This was um, back when back when Pastor Brad first found me. I was running all the time. I, you know, I had ran in, in uh, high school, ran in college, and I, I was running sometimes five miles a day. And, but at that time, like, exercise was more of a passion. I was, I was sometimes seven days a week I, I would run. You know, sometimes it was two miles, if that's all I could fit in. Sometimes it was five miles. But it was like, if I didn't get my run in, if I didn't get my exercise, I felt like I was lacking that day. Because it was like, man, I didn't get my exercise. I didn't get my workout in today. And so I, w I was like devoted towards that. But it was like a thing that kind of drove me. Even, even if I was supposed to, you know, Sunday, a day off, I just, I felt like I wanted to run. You know, and what we, because I was doing it all the time. And as you do something continuously, it's like it gets in you. It's, there's this drive in you that starts. Now, it doesn't happen on day one, because if you do that on day one, you're walking in going, man, that really stunk. I don't feel like running ever again. I feel, you know, sore. My legs are hurting. I don't want to run. But the thing is, once you build into it and once your stamina increases, and it, it's like you get a hunger for it. It's the same thing with any devotion, anything you put your mind to, anything you put your energy to and your time to all the time, you will increase your devotion and your hunger for that thing. So isn't it interesting that God built us that way? He created us that way, that we could actually, it's not just, well, you know, she was interested in exercising. No, I really wasn't. Because if you saw me in sixth grade, I read all the time, and I hardly ever exercised, ever. Like, I was a reader. That was my devotion in sixth grade. <laughs> and then my mom was like, okay, we have a problem. This kid is, like, hardly getting up off the couch. She is reading all the time. She needs some exercise in her life. And so she was like, girl, you're going we signed you up for softball. So <laughs> I was like, all right. So we went to softball, and I ended up enjoying softball. But the thing is, it was like my devotion changed simply because of where I spent my time. Now, the more you spend time in the word, the more you spend time in, in listening to preaching and hearing the word of God and being around the family of God, guess what? The more you desire that too. Whatever you devote yourself towards, that's what you will grow a hunger towards. So the great thing about it is you may say, well, I don't like to read. Terry Savelle Foy says, I used to hate reading. Now she says, I love it with a passion. I have to read. It's like a, a thing that I want to do because she made herself do it. And she was like tw 20 minutes every day. She, in fact, she said when I first started, I would set a timer because I hated it so much. I'm like, man, if I don't set a timer, I'm barely going to get through five minutes. And so she would set a timer. And, and she would, oh, we're not done yet. And she'd keep reading. Man. 10 more minutes, you know, and it was like a drudgery for her. But the thing is, as she did it more, now she loves it. She reads all the time. In fact, it's one of the things that, that she promotes is read a lot. Read all the time because it keeps you growing. Devotion, devotion. What, what do you devote yourself to? 
And, you know, like, listen, yes, of course we should all be getting God in our life and the things of God in our life, of course. But what is it that you are leading in? What is it that, that you want to be great in? Then you've got to devote yourself to that. If you want to be the best teacher there is, and let's say you teach elementary school kids and you want to be the best teacher there is, you've got to devote yourself to learning the techniques of that, that class and that age group. How do you teach that age group? If you want to be the best uh, mechanic, car mechanic there is, well, then guess what? you got to get magazines on, on cars. You can't just be, you know, show up at your job and, you know, well, yeah, the only time I spend cars is when I'm here from 8 to noon, and then I go on lunch break, and then I come back on at 1 and work until 4, you know, and that, that's the only time. I don't, I don't really spend any other time around cars. If this is what you want to do, then you got to spend time and you got to devote yourself to it. you got to learn about it. If you're going to become great and become professional in what you do, you got to devote yourself I heard a, a guy say the other day, he said, if you were going to do, if, if the job that you had right now, the job you had right now, if you were going to do that for the rest of your life, would that change how much energy you put into it now? Would it change how you thought about it? Would it change? And what he was meaning was this. If you knew that you were not going to switch jobs, that in fact somebody locked you in and said, this is what you're going to do. This is going to be your, your money-making thing for the rest of your life. There's not switching any jobs or switching careers. This is it. How would you handle it then? Would you want to become great in that area because you knew you weren't going anywhere else? Would you want to become great in that because now you want to start rising to the top instead of moving laterally? Over here, oh, over here. Now I'm going over here. You see what I'm saying? Like, this generation moves around a lot. And I'm not saying don't ever go for a better job. But what I am saying, used to be, used to be, people would get a job and they would stay in it for 40 years. And they would move up if they had the desire to do so. But now there's so much lateral moving that I think sometimes people don't really look at their thing and say, I want to become great at what I do now. I want to learn everything I can about it now. I want to move up in what I'm doing. So if you, th if you knew, like, this was what I was going to do. And at first I was honestly confused about it because in my mind, you know, as he was asking the question, I'm like, well, no, I don't think it would change because, it, you know, even, even before when... We were living off of our own savings in Hana to, to make this church happen. You know, we put forth everything. Now we put forth everything. So in my mind, it, did, you know, it didn't change. But I understood why he was asking the question because most people aren't in a position where they don't get paid for their jobs. You know what I'm saying? Like they're in something and, and they, they're just looking for another job career opportunity. So then I understood but in my mind, I was like, well, no, I, I'm, I, I'm, I pour myself into everything I do now. So in my mind, it didn't change. But I, it's because I'm already operating there. I'm already understanding. Can I do more? I'm sure I can do more. I'm not saying I can't. But what I am saying is devote yourself to what you're doing. How much TV, you know, are you watching in the evening? And I know probably this isn't a huge TV uh, crew, but I know for most people uh, across the United States, Five, six hours a night, probably. Seven hours a night. Wow. 
Yeah. It doesn't surprise me. And and what can? Oh yeah. Yeah, work week, a forty-hour full-time work week towards technology, and it gets you know, and so much of it is you watching someone else live their life. You watching someone else. Yeah, you watching someone else make their dream come true. That's what people are doing. And believe me, it is an agenda of the enemy. Don't think that it's not. It steals destinies. It steals dreams. Because people are, are, are plugging into that, wasting time away, and devoting themselves to technology. They're not devoting themselves to, I tell you, the Jews have this figured out because they got it from the word of God. You know, they, the reason so many Jews make it to the top, I think it's over, over a 50% of the, um, the wealthiest people are Jewish people. In the world, 70? Because they, they take the applications from the word of God, even though they, m many of them don't even read the New Testament. But they read the Old Testament and find out what the Word of God says, and they do it. They do it. They read Proverbs alone. And, you know, and it talks about a, a, a lazy person. It talks about just not doing anything. It talks about, you know, uh, being um, deceitful. It talks about not being honest. It talks about uh, so many business things, so many character things. And the thing is, and yeah, there is a blessing up in their life. But, but we could learn from these things. Don't just assume that the way the rest of the world is going is, is got to be your standard. In fact, most of the time, what the rest of the world is doing, you need to do the opposite. You need to look at that and say, I'm doing the opposite. They're doing that. I'm doing the opposite. All right, number, number three. Number three. Before I go on to number three, Number well, number two, ask yourself, what what am, what does my week look like? What am I devoting myself to? What am I doing a lot of? Because sometimes when you first hear this, you think, "Why well, I have no time? How can I fit anything else into this? How can I, how can I even spend two extra hours a week uh, doing something to make what I want to happen?" I can bet you it's there. I can bet you it's there, and a lot of it is right here on the cell phone in big help go look at the stats it's all in your settings you can see how much you're spending on each thing on Facebook on Instagram on uh, you know whatever it is it shows all of that YouTube like it will show you the breakdown and how much time you're spending on each thing that's where your time is at most of the time most of the time so if you're wondering where it's at, there, there's, a, there's probably a good place to start. Number three, a leader must govern his beliefs or thoughts. His beliefs or thoughts. A leader must govern his beliefs or thoughts. These are things, what do you, what do you believe in? Why do you believe in it? Is it godly? 
So who, what do you believe in? Why do you believe in it? Is it godly? All of those things. Do, when you have a philosophy around something, an idea around something, is that aligned with the word of God? Because if it's not, we have to be willing to change it. We can't just look at it and say, well, mama said, because mama may not have been right. Well, my daddy said, my daddy always did. Well, daddy may not have always been right. And there's a lot of things that we accept in life because mama said, daddy said, or uh, the world said, or my teacher that I really liked in college said. You know how many people come out of college as atheists or they do not believe in Jesus Christ or they just think he is uh, a great teacher? Because they, they, they went to church when they were young, and then they went to a liberal school. Four years of that changed their thinking because of what they were around and what the teachers, what the professors begin to plug into their mind and create doubt in their mind. So now their thoughts shifted about what they believed. Are your thoughts aligned with the word of God? Turn to 2 Corinthians Second Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read verse 4 and 5. <clears throat> it says, The weapons we fight are not with the weapons of the world, or the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We are to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. If something does not line up with the word of God, this right here, we, we, this will alone change your life. Because every thought that comes in your head is not... a. A, a thought by God it's not uh, you know it's not cor always correct but if we will take the word of God and begin to align it up and, and, and pour our thought and say okay does my thought line up with the word of God and if it doesn't then I need to change my thought and I need to be okay with that instead of defending my wrong thought instead of defending my wrong belief and you know one of the things that that hold people back is because they're just like, well, this is just how I am. Well, this is just who I am. And the thing is, well, I mean, if you want to be prideful enough to stay there and be that way, then you can, but you're not going to move. You're not going to grow into a better leader. You're not going to grow into, and when I say leader, that means a lot of things. That means you're not going to grow into to be a better, if you're a teacher, then it's not going to be, a, you're not going to be a better teacher. If you're a husband, you're not going to be a better husband. If you're a wife, you're not going to be a better wife. If you're uh, a pastor, you're not going to be a better pastor. If you're a leader in school, you're not going to be a better leader in school. Understand, when I say leader, I don't just mean like, well, you know, just the pastors are leaders. No, everybody in here is a leader. Everybody. You are leading somehow. So if, if we don't humble ourselves and say, is my, are my thoughts correct according to the word of God? Am I taking my thought, lining it up with the word of God, and saying, is this right? I, am I thinking right about this? Because most people's problems, most people's problems are thought problems. They are mental problems. <laughs> I know that sounds bad. But most people's problems 
You guys tired tonight? <laughs> Most people's problems are thought problems. Because think about it. If, if someone is always having a problem financially, then the problem is not going to change because I give them $1,000. This is why if somebody wins the lottery and they're poor, they will, they will be poor again. They will be broke again within a, a couple of years. Because the problem is not that they don't have enough money. The problem is they don't know how to handle the money that they have. So most of our problems are because we, we have a thought problem, a thought problem. And I'm not saying, well, you know, like everything is done by shifting, shifting the, the thought process and then you start heading in the right direction. It's not that everything gets changed overnight, but it does get changed as the, as the correction gets made in the understanding. Let me explain it like this. There's a difference. If you remember me praying in the beginning, God, give us, give us the knowledge, but not only the knowledge, the understanding, but also the wisdom. Because those are three different categories. We, a lot of people use them interchangeably, but the three different categories. Because knowledge is something that you can gain by hearing something, and then you have the knowledge of it. You can, you can, you can gain the knowledge like, oh, yes, 2 plus 2 equals 4. You can gain the knowledge of something, but you may not have any understanding how I got that. I just heard so-and-so say that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Or, make it a little more complicated, 2 times 8 is 16. I can say that to a, a six-year-old, and a six-year-old can repeat it back to me, and I can do that for three days, and they'll know it. Or do it for one day. What's two times eight? What's two times eight? Sixteen, sixteen, sixteen. How did I get that? I don't know. They, didn't, they don't have the understanding. So the understanding is actually getting the idea of how that happens. The understanding is, oh, I get it. When you have uh, two groups of eight... That's what gives me 16. I get it now. I have eight candies and eight candies, and that makes me 16. I have two groups of eight. That is understanding. Application is when you know how to apply it in real life. I can actually give you and say, okay, I'm going to give you, you, Sally, eight candies, and I'm going to give you, Johnny, eight candies, and eight times two is 16, because you can just multiply the eight, the two groups, and I, and I sat there, and I can explain everything I just did and apply it in everyday life. So all three of those categories you have to have in order for something to work, because you got to have the knowledge, but you got to have the understanding, and then some people, they never get to the application. So the application is what actually makes something work in your life. So this uh, understanding the, the, the beliefs or the thoughts, you have to understand sometimes, where am I getting this thought? Why am I responding this way to life? Why am I, why, wh what is it that's making me uh, react this way? Where did I get this? Is this from a, a family tradition? Is this something that's been handed down? Did I get this uh, attitude or whatever it is from, from you know, what's been explained to me or maybe what's been um, taught to me or shown to me? And if it is, is it right? If it's not right, then I need to change it. And I need to begin to uh, adopt a different mindset. I need to, like for instance, like I said, most things are, mer or, are sorry, excuse me, are um, thought, pro thought 
problems. That's what I'm trying to say. Man, that was difficult to get out. <coughs> Most problems are thought problems. If, you, if there is a problem, let's say, in a, in a person's marriage, and one of the spouses has, a, has a, a, an ego problem, okay? And so they, they can't ever be wrong. As an issue, because for whatever reason, they think it is a, um, an, inferi an inferiority thing. If I'm wrong, then that means I'm a lower person or my, somebody's challenging my character and who I am. But in reality, that's not necessarily the case. It just may be that someone else has a different idea or a different opinion. It doesn't mean any less of you. But for whatever reason, I'm taking it personally. And as a result, I'm putting up some big defenses here and I'm saying, no, I'm right and I'm the man. And why? Because maybe I heard daddy say that. I'm the man, and you're the woman, and you have to submit. I'll use that as an example, because I had a problem with that when we first got married, because I didn't understand it. So this is actually a good example. When, when Pastor Brad and I first got married, I didn't understand submission, because I had the wrong idea of what submission was. I understood it from the Appalachian context, which isn't a good understanding of it because there's a lot of pride in this area there's a lot of a lot of men that that you know they may even come to church and they but they're like woman submit submit to your husband but there's never the rest of the verse which is love your wife and so they want to use that scripture and so in my mind I, I kind of grew up with this idea of submit from the Bible, submission. But I never understood the biblical version of submission. I understood what people were portraying. And even in church, you would hear sometimes guys uh, make a comment, yeah, wife submit. And they, it would be in a joke. And they may not actually like live that way, but it was still insinuated. It was like this undercurrent thing. And so in my mind, I never understood real submission. Like, what the Bible meant by submission. So as a result, we were driving down the road one day, and we hadn't been married for too long, and we were doing a devotional. And so <laughs> anyway, uh, he was driving. I was reading, so we were on, like, day seven or whatever. And that verse was at the top. Wives, submit to your husband da -da -da, for his uh, whatever it is in the Lord. And so I read it, and immediately I was just like, I'm done. I didn't even want to finish the devotion. I was just, just like in my spirit. I was like, uh, no, we don't. Let's do, let's do a different one. You know. <laughs> and I don't even think we ever finished that devotion that day, huh? We did. Well, if we did, I wasn't happy about it. And I had a, you know, in my, in inside, I was like all tied up in knots over it. And so, anyways, it was kind of funny because was it last night? Last night we had that same devotional out because we ended up. Uh, getting that out at the beginning of the year and reading through that d same devotional book again. <laughs> and he opened it up to that very page and read it again. But we could laugh about it now. So, you know, it's not, it's not something I'm still tied up over about now. But I, ha I had to change my mindset. And I had to learn what the biblical understanding of submission was. But the thing is, I also understand that my husband knows what love is. And he activates that in his life. So husbands love your wives is also activated in my home. So I don't have a a 
problem with the submission. But I did not understand. So with the wrong understanding, I was responding to life with because I had the wrong understanding. So if we don't change our understanding according to God's word, I might have been sitting there saying, yeah, I know it's in the Bible, but I didn't understand it the way God perceived it, the way God ordained it. So we've got to, we have to understand something the way God ordained something in his word so we can live, because otherwise, in my mind, I was just like, how am I going to live this out? Because to me, submission is a doormat. So that didn't make sense to me. But now that you have the freedom and the understanding, and that's a key. If you ever read the, read the word of God, because you know like a certain concept is right, but for whatever reason, it's like, it's still like, I don't get this. This doesn't make, you're probably not understanding the full context of what's going on. Because there's freedom in God's word. There is a freedom that, that you feel like, okay, I don't have a problem with this. Because I know his love is in operation in this. His best for me is in operation for this. So your beliefs and thoughts. Um, you know, are you, are you being controlling in an area? Do you respond to things because maybe you don't have enough, but you're not seeing God as, as your provider in an area? So you're responding to life because, well, we don't have enough for that. And, and it's like making you angry, and you're responding to things. But the thing is, somewhere along the way, there's a wrong mindset. And it's not completely lined up with God's word. The revelation or the understanding is not completely there. And so we're responding in a way where we feel tied or cornered because it's like, yes, I know this is what it says, but I don't. So we got we to gotta start digging it out. We got to start figuring out why am I not understanding this 100%. So any thoughts that are not right in our life, we've got to take them captive and be okay with changing them. Be okay with lining them up and saying, okay, Lord, show the, show the realness to, of this to me. Show the truth of this to me because I'm not understanding it all. You don't know how many times I've prayed that. God, show me the truth about this scripture because I know reading it, like I'm not understanding it all because I can, I can tell that I don't, I, if I can't explain it back and it feel right in my spirit, like I know I'm not explain, I, I know I'm not understanding it. So I'll pray about it. God, will you show me what this means? And if I don't get an, an answer right then, like if I give it a moment and I don't, and I don't receive the answer and I lay it aside, you don't know how many times, like a week or two down the road, boom, somebody will preach on it and I'll have never heard that sermon ever, but God brought it to me. Or I'll read it in a book and I'll be like, I just asked about that scripture. Like, it's amazing. And I'm just like, God, that's so amazing. You're so wonderful. You know, I've read that scripture and not knowing it for how many years and all of a sudden I pray for it and boom, it's just there within a, a week or two, you know? So... Pray about things. Pray, ask him to reveal to you. Why, why am I having this thought? Why is, why is this uh, causing me such tension or problems in my life? Why am I responding this way? What am I not understanding in your word? Give me revelation in this area. I was just even praying that last night. And it, as I was, and it was just like, it was over a certain situation and then I, I, I went up a, t upstairs, took a shower. It was like I was in the shower. Boom, it hit me. And I'm like, I got to look that back up now. And it was like I needed to look the scripture back up to, to like,
cross-reference it myself to make sure that I'm on and it wasn't just me, you know? Like, things like that can hit you. So ask the Lord, bring God into these details of your life. So you got those three? Okay, I'll go over the other three next week. So a leader must govern his conscience. He must govern his devotion, what he's devoted to. And he must govern his beliefs or his thoughts.